Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. Amanda, have you been following this thirst trap trend? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think th- I think thirst traps are as old as time, <laughs> or at least as as old as the internet. <laughs> I mean, well, Martha Stewart has recently been trending for having um, a thirst trap Instagram, where she's at her pool, rising from the murky depths, looking <laughs> sexy AF, and they keep talking about how she's a thirst trap. Have you seen this? (laughs) I haven't, but I need to because I love Martha Stewart so much. You have no idea. And I have been loving her quarantine content because she's sort of like, there's just like a lot of ennui going on and lots of just Mm -hmm. drinking and being Mm -hmm. frustrated with her house guests. And I just love it. (laughs) Do you remember when, I think this might've been like a couple of years ago and this was trending was, the fact that Martha Stewart's, she would take these pictures on Instagram of the food that she made mm-hmm. and the food just looked so gross because, <laughs> you know, you know, how when you take a picture of food, sometimes it can just look really, really bad. And, and there was like, there was this, there was a whole, there was articles about it. It was really hilarious. I mean, I don't know if I've uh, shown you this before, but I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I have a relative <laughs> who posts <laughs> some of the most disgusting food photos I've ever seen. Um, But what I realized is that most food photos are gross. You know why? We're used to like in magazines and cookbooks, that food is heavily styled. And most of the time it's not even food. It's like, you know, weird clay and butter and things that are Uh sculpted to look like real food. And like, you know, ice cream is always mashed potatoes and stuff like that. So lighting is key is, is key in this. And photoshopping it. I mean, like, that's why I feel, you know, this might be a trend for a different episode, but maybe I want to talk about something briefly that has detrended, which is I almost never see food photos anymore on Instagram. That's probably because people aren't going out. They're like making their food at home and they're just not as proud <laughs> or. Uh... Oh, I mean, I still see, I still see bread. You yeah. know, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a mean girl for a minute. When I see bread photos now in August, I am like, you're basic. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that trend's over, guys. Move on. <laughs> well, this episode is not really about thirst traps. It's about beverages that are trending right now. <laughs> beverages can make or break uh-huh. your day. Um, they can be a great upper, a great downer, um, refreshing, jubilant. And there's a lot of things that are happening now because of quarantine and people are really focusing on small pleasures. You know, quarantine has made one of our favorite caffeine fixes, coffee, Mm -hmm. really hard to get. You know, you go out, you go to your favorite cafe, maybe in the morning, maybe at lunch, maybe, I don't know, during your breaks. And we've had to get kind of innovative just to make our homemade versions try to match that specialness of a cafe version. Uh, you know, everyone likes their coffee a little bit differently. If you are my mother, you like a 
drip coffee, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, ideally hazelnut. Oh, <laughs> ideally, Mrs. Christensen. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> um, ideally in a Winnie the Pooh mug and okay, covered okay. with lipstick left around the house and reheated over and over again in a microwave. Um, and in our office my office where I work we have a Nespresso machine you know we added it you know to just to kind of elevate our 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 coffee experiences we have a couple cafes around us but you know for quick fixes Uh nice to have um yeah it's clean it's convenient convenient and it kind of gives you that kick you need and this might sound controversial Amanda I don't know if you've actually tried Nespresso Oh, I have. I also had a job with an espresso machine <laughs> and I didn't like it. I did not yeah. think it was good. It was, it it's was like, not. it was like ad- adequate not. caffeine, you know, but yeah. Yeah. It, it was not that great. It's a means to an end. It's an easy solve for, for an office experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have this ongoing joke at my office. Uh, we will get all the different types of pods you know, we'll get like <laughs> the chocolate, the caramel. There's like um, like biscuit flavor. There's a cafecito. Oh. There's all these different like fun ones that we try to get. And, you know, the aroma, you could smell it from the aroma. But literally, they all taste the same. Totally, totally. <laughs> I remember this from my office job where we had it. And the executive assistant who ordered all of our snacks and coffee supplies and whatnot would ask us do you want kenya this time do you want italian roast and it was like they're all the same dude it doesn't matter yeah no one cares who cares <laughs> this, like it just it doesn't matter it's going to be the same kind of like dark burnt you know bitter you just you, you're gonna douse it in a bunch of almond milk or whatever milk whoever brought it you're, you're gonna try to dress mm-hmm. it up well, so I've been in quarantine, obviously, and I need my caffeine fix. You know, I like to get up in the morning and I like to work out. So I I, I try to drink a pretty heavy dose of caffeine early in the morning. And I found I would order on Whole Foods these concentrated cold brews. You know, they have them at Trader Joe's. They have them at all the grocery stores. I would have them delivered. They'd be big, bulky. You know, they're like 12 bucks a pop. You know, maybe if you get like the Whole Foods brand, it might be like down to like $9 or something. You know, and mm-hmm. after months, and I'm just looking at my refrigerator and it's just, it's full of these, <laughs> these glass bottles. I just like, there's got to be a better way, you know? And I, I did order some of the make your own cold brew. I've got the little, the little canister that you get. It's like a little Japanese canister. You, you brew it yourself in your, in your refrigerator, you know, but it's not, it's just not as strong as, as I like it. Mm-hmm. So I basically just Googled cold brew concentrate and what popped up first, they were doing an ad for it is this company called Jot, J-O-T. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't until you mentioned it to me. Now I'm, I'm considering buying it. Yeah. It, you know, it's actually been, really awesome it's a cold brew direct-to-consumer disruptor so jot is made with organic beans um it's the most concentrated form of coffee in the world in the world yeah in the world Uh you know and i actually bought this product before even really kind of reading all the reviews but it 
you know, they, they definitely did a big press push in the past couple of months. And they kind of came out just recently, like perfect timing. And actually all of their reviews, like Fast Company, Bon Appetit, all these places, they're raving about it. They all love it also. It's just a tablespoon is all you need to transform any liquid into a truly remarkable cup. It's literally just water and coffee. They don't add any sugars, no sweeteners, no flavors. They also have a big commitment to sustainability. Uh, So they just use, you know, that organic fair trade beans. They use a revolutionary process that reduces waste by getting 30% more brew out of every bean. And then after that, they compost 100% of their spent grounds as soil amenders for local farmers. So each of these 200 milliliter bottles is 14 cups of coffee. It's $24 if you're buying it individually. And then if you buy more, the cost per cup reduces from about $1.70 a cup to about $1.36 a cup. And you can put it on a subscription. So it just kind of keeps coming. Mm-hmm. And can I tell you, it is strong. Wow. Like it really, and you know, you can decide how strong you want. Obviously, it's one tablespoon. You know, I mix it with. Um, you know, maybe like a cup of almond milk and then the rest water and just kind of depending on and how big of a dosage I want, uh, you know, I'll change that water. It's delicious and it's really kind of elevated my day and kind of and brought this um, non-bulky, non-clunky, cost-effective solution to my, my coffee needs. <laughs> you know, another trend that I'm seeing or that we've all seen is that that viral TikTok whipped coffee trend back in April. Have you had this, Amanda? Yeah, so I I made it, but I uh, found a different article and in, in, I don't know, it was like in Bon Appetit or something that was basically like tips on making it better and how to make it without sugar or with less sugar because I guess it's got a crazy amount of sugar in it. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty good. The ways you can make it better are to do all the whipping in a chilled jar or glass. A jar is kind of better, like a mason jar. It's got the right sort of dimensions. And so you want to put that like in the Mm. freezer for, uh, I don't know, like an hour before you do it. So you do have to plan a little. And then I have a little hand frother. So I used that instead of a blender. The article I read said that when you take it out of the blender, you actually sort of deflate the bubbles So it's not as whipped anymore, but the frother makes it a lot easier. And I thought it was pretty good. But honestly, to me, my favorite coffee drink is the, Mm. and you know this because you've seen me get it from Starbucks, is the cold foam cold brew. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. So I've been making my own version of that at home. And it's pretty similar, except instead of whipping the coffee, I whip whatever milk I'm going to use, which is usually a, a coconut milk creamer. Uh, I just do the same thing, cold jar with a hand frother, spoon it in, and it's delightful. I mean, it's not as good. Do you use real sugar or do you use like a sugar substitute? I use no sweetener at all. I like coffee to be coffee-ish. I actually, the the taste of like sweet coffee kind of makes me make a gross face. It's disgusting. It's disgusting right? Yeah, it's disgusting. Uh, so I do an unsweetened yeah. version. The article I read in Bon Appetit specifically said there's way too much sugar in this recipe. Like it's, it's like seven tablespoons or something. It's something absurd. I mean, it, it comes from Korea. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? That it's, it's like a name for a Korean honeycomb toffee called Dalonga. I believe it, that it came from Korea because I feel like Korea always has the best tea and coffee drinks. So I'm not surprised at all. Yes. Uh, it's definitely one of the things I missed most about living in LA is all the 
incredible beverages I could get in Koreatown. Yes, Amanda's extremely adventurous about going <laughs> and visiting all these really <laughs> amazing, um, I guess, I don't know, uh, restaurants and malls. And like we're going to the <laughs> valley to go to a, uh, a dim sum place or downtown to a sushi place conveyor belt sushi right yeah oh, oh love that place oh my god i love that place yeah i know someday i'll get to come to la again soon and we'll we'll Cannot go have wait. all the things yeah i also just wanted to give a shout out something i have it's also korean that i've been doing for a long time when I travel, you know, you stay in a hotel, sometimes they have those terrible like mini Keurig pod things or, you know, just the coffee situation in hotel rooms is always gross, right? And who wants to go down to the lobby in the morning and bring it back? Like I, I just want to, I don't want to leave my room until I'm ready to go out and face the world. So I'm not going to go down and get a coffee and come back up while I'm getting ready. So I have found a way around it by getting the little they're sort of like disposable Korean pour over packets. And actually the first time I had these was in Japan. That's what turned me onto it. All of the convenience stores would sell these like six packs. And then you could also buy the cream and sugar separately. And it's basically like you rip it open and you unfold a little mesh, like, I don't know, it's like a coffee filter basket that has little hooks that hook over your cup. And then you pour the hot water over it. And so you've got pour over coffee, right? And then you just throw away the little pouchy thing when you're done. So it's like instant coffee almost. It's not though, because it's pour over. It's like, it's pour which is what over. we, at our house, we drink pour over every morning. So that's like where you grind the coffee, you put it in the filter in the Chemex and you pour hot water over it. So it's the same thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to say that these packets of coffee are as good as making real coffee at home, but they definitely hit the spot and they're really easy as long as you have access to hot water. I found that more and more hotels have like a hot water kettle in their rooms these days. At least the cool ones do. I also have found if you want like something really a little bit more decadent and fancy, there's a company called Copper Cow and they specialize in these pour overs. They have plain black coffee, but they also have a lot of different lattes and Vietnamese pour over coffee. So they have sweet stuff. They have unsweet stuff. They even have decaf now. And it's a women owned company. You can get a subscription as well. So this might be more of a winter option for you, Kim, if you decide to go back to hot coffee. Absolutely. I really like them for when I'm traveling. I mean, the idea of traveling right now, it seems like that's never going to happen again. <laughs> but I always <laughs> keep some of these in my suitcase. So I'm just like ready to go whenever I'm leave for the airport. I've already got my coffee packed. That is so smart. Yeah. I Well, I just, you know, I'm always traveling for work and yeah. like the coffee situation can ruin my day. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely can. Well, also if you can't get the caffeine fix, I mean, you're just sluggish. Yeah. And I have to and... have it when I get up, like in our household, we all get up every morning and we immediately make coffee, you know? So like I'm drinking it while I get dressed. I'm drinking it while I check my email like it's just there do you have a preferred coffee uh, you know i i mean there's some really great coffees out there it's been challenging during quarantine because you kind of take whatever we can get because you know a lot of coffee shops are closed you know we kind of got to get whatever we can get in the mail my favorite coffee place actually is in lancaster pennsylvania and it's called passenger and they have the best coffee I've ever had and at first I thought it was just because I was getting it there but then we bought some beans and had it at home and it was just the best coffee ever was it their own brand yeah they roast it there 
it's incredible. They're just a small grocery, you know, and uh, we're pretty snobby about coffee here in our house. So, well, Amanda used to live in Portland also. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I've always been on the cutting edge of overpriced coffee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And even there, there's definitely a hierarchy of what we liked versus what we liked less. And there was a, there was a cafe in Portland that was right by your house. That was super amazing. It was, uh, with the it had this ginger coffee oh my god kopi coffee yes that's kopi uh, and that's also all of those coffees are asian inspired as well and so the oh my god it was the, amazing so good yeah so good I never had anything like it i love that place i hope that they survive covid because a lot of the stores in that neighborhood are closing oh my god so sad. so sad yeah but i think they will i think that they have such a devoted following that they're going to keep it going. Yeah, I miss that place all the time. So good. That's definitely my favorite coffee in Portland, for sure. Kopi. Kopi in Portland, Passenger in Lancaster. <laughs> if you find yourself in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Rewind to like normal life before all this. I don't know how often you would go out for coffee, but it was like a part of our lives that I didn't even think about, you yeah. know? I had that Nespresso machine, so I was all set. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell it while we're talking about coffee, I just need to tell you this story that I know comes from some like right wing financial person, but my father-in-law tried to tell me that Dustin and I would be able to buy a house if we had stopped buying coffee at coffee shops. He was really convinced on this and it got us really riled up and we did the math and we were like, even if we went out every day, it still wouldn't even come close to a down payment on a house. And I was just like, what a random thing for him to lecture me about. And then I realized that it was this like, I don't know, conservative meme, basically, like at some yeah. point, some can. It's like a boomer. Meme, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And so at, now the world knows that it's a joke. If you never buy yourself coffee out ever again, you're still not going to be able to buy a house with that money. So just buy yourself a coffee. And it's a little luxury. That's what you, you know. What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, that's my rant about that. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you guys right now, and I am not ashamed to admit this, that I've been drinking a boozy seltzer every day since warm weather hit around May. And delicious, crisp, refreshing, low sugar. Before that, we were, Dustin was becoming sort of an amateur mixologist and he was making a lot of cocktails. But when the warm weather hit, it was like, what else would you want to drink? You need that carbonation, that hint of hydration. Um, I mean, it's quarantine, baby. We got to live it up, right? So I have always loved the boozy seltzers. I have celiac disease, which means I can't drink beer. And I also have a condition called SIBO, so I can't drink wine either. So I kind of am left in the situation where I can have liquor or boozy seltzer. That's it, right? Yeah. So the first time I had boozy seltzer, it was at a white cloth sample booth at the Agenda Trade Show, which the Agenda Trade Show is a lifestyle skate streetwear apparel trade show that used to happen in Long Beach. I'm not even sure if it happens anymore. It's the long day of dealing with vendors and people trying to sell me stuff. And I, it, this just took the edge off. I was sold. It's actually a pretty cool trade show. I mean, they always have <clears> really good food carts. and They do. And they, they they're do. always giving away free stuff. I think I got like a bunch of Patagonia. Like they did all these, it was like a, 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 like ruined Patagonia pieces that you could fix and mend yourself. That's so cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I don't think the trade show happens anymore, which is too bad because it was really, really cool. Uh, plus, it was conveniently located near Hooters. So the only time oh, in, my, in my life I've eaten at Hooters was at the trade show, but I would do it every time. And those wings are good, guys. Mm-hmm. Hooters, 
two thumbs up. So anyway, I came back from this trade show and I was talking to my husband, Dustin. I was like, I just had the most incredible thing ever. Like it was this boozy seltzer and he, he was, he was pretty skeptical. He was like, Oh, is it like Mike's hard lemonade or like Zima or Smirnoff ice? And I was like, no, no, no. You, it's literally like having a LaCroix that has booze in it somehow yeah. magically. So he tried it. Soon he was bringing home cases without me even having to ask. Lucky. So, lucky, I know. So I think I want to say that was like 2018 and I was just starting then. Mm-hmm. And lots of biz analysts, like people who analyze beverage trends, I guess, were calling 2019 the year of White Claw. <sighs> and it's not surprising. Wait, if, was that like in a specific industry or was that just like business overall? I mean, I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> when I think of 2019, that's all I think of. What else could possibly happen? White Claw. <laughs> just White Claw. So it's not surprising to hear that these some sort of business analysts are saying this because the company did $1.5 billion in sales. I mean, What? They only cut, it only comes in like four flavors. It rampaged. I mean, like you saw in LA and literally a month later, it was like in middle America. I went home for Christmas and the White Claw display in Madison, Wisconsin at our local grocery store was bigger than any display. <laughs> I have a picture That's of amazing. my sister standing next to the tower. I mean, it was so popular that a lot of distributors were actually declaring there was a shortage. And I do remember there were times where we couldn't get it. And we were like, uh, what do we drink now? You know, like the Whole Foods near our house was always out, it seemed like. And we would be driving around Portland looking for somewhere else to have it. When you think about it, the success of White Claw and it being so huge, it's a perfect storm of LaCroix popularity, right? Mm-hmm. LaCroix, still popular, inspiring a million copycat brands, right? And then also the rise of the keto diet because White Claw only has two grams of carbs. Yeah, keto and paleo. Keto, paleo, and LaCroix mm-hmm. all at once, right? So a few other brands popped up last year. One's called Truly. I like that one. You like it? I think it tastes too chemical. I, should, I like them all. I'm pretty... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super particular. Another brand that came out last year that I actually really love is called Bon and Viv. And they have a cranberry one that is so good. They also have a mango one. I love that brand. And they were they did well. I think that they initially capitalized off of White Claw being sold out. So people would be like, oh, I guess I'll try Truly. I guess I'll try Bon and Viv. That's exactly what happened for us in our household. Which one has the mermaid? Bon and Viv. Yeah, I like that one. That one's really, really good. Mm -hmm. And so these brands did well, but none of them could compete with White Claw. So you would think like three brands of this probably good enough, right? Well, especially knowing that White Claw is just dominating. Well, last week, my husband and I went to Total Wine, or as we like to call it, Totally Wine, which is a chain. You have them in California, Kim. Uh, It's such a huge, huge booze store. There's one out in the Valley. It's really good. If you ever get a car, you should go. So we went to Totally Wine. We wanted to pick up some seltzer because it's just been disgustingly hot here. We saw at least 20 brands of boozy seltzer. Like that is not an exaggeration. Like even all these other big beer brands have come out with their own, like Molson Coors, Budweiser, Corona. And then there were lots of these like craft artisanal boozy seltzers. You know, I was reading that the beer companies are actually suffering... I mean, 
at least in the last, you know, maybe year because of the rise of this. And yeah, it is. They need to compete somehow because people are just not drinking beer like they used to. I think even Budweiser themselves, they were they used to be the king of beers, and now they're at like number two, number four. So then they came the, out with a big old push. They're um, like the Duke of Beer now or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like what's the what's what's fourth place I don't in, the, in the hierarchy? <laughs> yeah, no, I believe that. And once again, I think it's because. We're having one of those times where carbs are the enemy. Whereas, like, remember the 90s, how everything was low fat? Yeah. You know, the snack wells snack and whatnot. Wells. I mean, yeah, snack wells is just pure shit. Yeah. It, well, it was like shit. And sugar. It was and like sugar. super duper sugary. <laughs> yeah. Spiller. Yeah. So now the pendulum has swung the other way and we're like, oh, no, fat is okay, but carbs are bad. And I mean, I'm. I have to eat a very low carb diet because of my stomach. And I will tell you, I feel a thousand times better. So I think there is something there. So it makes sense to me that like universally as Americans have decided that we are against carbs. Well, beer is, is liquid carbs, right? Mm -hmm. My boyfriend in college was just binge drinking at a party, like just drinking straight out of a bottle of gin. And I was like, I don't think you should do that. You didn't have dinner. And he was like, well, yeah, I had a couple beers. They're like bread. I'll be fine. <laughs> and this has stuck with you. It has stuck with me. Uh, later, he threw up on a tree. <laughs> it was kind of the craziest thing, Kim, because we were just like walking down the street and he just mm. leaned over for a second and threw up on a tree and then just kept going, talking. Everything was fine. I, meanwhile, was horrified. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting. Anyway, so yeah, beer is bread, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. So, yeah, so there's like a ton of these brands out there because everybody's trying to cash in on this. And like most things, there's the whole spectrum of quality. I mean, to be honest, White Claw now tastes disgusting because it's got this super artificial flavor and all these other brands taste better. I think they've had an opportunity to work on that. I guess they taste more real. Some of them even have a splash of real juice, but then they will have a few more calories and Uh, carbs. My favorite right now is this one called Three Birds. It comes in lime, mango, cucumber, and raspberry, and they're all so good. We had to go back and buy several cases. And the guy who was the manager at Totally Wine told us that they were sold out everywhere. So we're like hoarding them now. (laughs) Some people hoard toilet paper. We're we're hoarding boozy (laughs) seltzer. And this one's good because it does contain some real juice. It still only has two grams of carbs and it's very low in calories, but it just tastes so much better. My friend Tara swears that the Bud Light seltzer is tops. I haven't had it. Uh, Maybe I'll try it soon when we run out of our hoarded seltzer. I feel like we've got a couple more months of hot weather here (laughs) in Philadelphia. So I do think like you were talking about this idea of drinking something from a can, especially since we can only see each other outside now. Mm -hmm. Drinking something from a can that isn't beer is getting bigger and bigger. Like with, for example, I've recently purchased some boozy kombucha. It was amazing. There's a lot more premium cocktails in a can that don't seem gross. And there's even these like pre-made rosé spritzers that I've had that were really good. They weren't like what we think of when we think of canned cocktails. You know, we think of like, I don't know, wine coolers and Mike's Hard Lemonade and things like this. These were like really good high quality yeah i feel like we're kind of getting into like a different game here you know of different like actually delicious 
alcohol beverage offerings that just really, you know, haven't really been around. We've had to kind of make our own and now they have been packaged for us. Totally. I mean, my hope is one of my favorite things to drink in Japan. Also, Dustin's favorite are these canned highballs. My hope is that they're going to come to come to the United States and literally all they are is whiskey, soda water and maybe a splash of lime juice or you can get them with ginger ale, but they're not sweetened. It's just like having a cocktail, but it's mobile. And I'm like, why don't we have these? Why don't we have highballs in a can? I, I don't know. Like you go into the 7-Eleven in Japan and they have like 20 varieties, you know, and they're like two bucks. And then you go home and drink them in bed. It's great. So hopefully we're going to get there. I feel like Boozy Seltzer is almost there. Yeah. But like imagine having an actual whiskey cocktail in a can. That sounds amazing. That sounds delicious. I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I feel like this is just a the start. I think so too. And I think as long as we can't go to bars and whatnot, people are innovating all over the place. Like Dustin has been helping out a, bre a brewery in West Virginia that had to close their doors, obviously, to cut outside customers. He They decided to try their own hand at doing seltzer and he designed some labels and stuff for them. So I think these beer people are also thinking like, what's next? What can I do? How can I keep my business going? And how can I innovate? Yeah. I mean, I, th I feel like, you know, innovation is going to come in flavors. And like you said, potentially looking to the Asian markets and um, seeing what's successful over there, um, potentially like probiotics and like infusing with more um, healthy things. Do you, do you see any other innovations? I mean, just what I've talked about so far, I think the boozy kombucha mm -hmm. is a real win for all of us. The boozy kombucha. Yeah, it was so good. It sounds amazing. It was expensive, but it was real. I mean, not more expensive than White Claw, but not as expensive as like, you know, a bottle of liquor. It was really refreshing. It gave me a buzz. Somehow it probably helped my guts. I don't know. I recommend it. I was skeptical and now I have been converted. Now I'm just waiting for the, you know, because obviously they have like the coffee with the seltzer coffee. So now it's like seltzer coffee with alcohol in it. Ah, oh, wood drink. Wood drink. I would drink that. Someone make that right now. <laughs> yes. I love a boozy iced coffee, mm -hmm. but imagine in a can. Oh, yeah. So you get that like that jolt it. of everything. Yeah. Yeah. With some carbonation. I think that sounds great. Well, so Amanda, I was doing a little bit of research for this episode and kind of stumbled across this article that Vogue came out with. It was the top cocktail searches by state. It's actually Google that released this recently. And they had originally been kind of talking about what was New York's most Googled cocktail drink during quarantine, which happened to be the Manhattan. Wow. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, I'm going to just say it's hard to make a good Manhattan at home. I don't know why. Really? I just feel like it's never as good. I haven't, I haven't tried. Do you remember at the height of the pandemic when staying at home was still kind of a novelty and we got just like a good dose of memes on the regular and then stanley tucci nearly broke the internet when he made a negroni yes <laughs> and that tiny shirt in that <laughs> tiny polo and people were horn dogging all over twitter on it as he slowly puts together this 
this Negroni. And I really do think that the star <laughs> of the show here was that tight black polo shirt paired with those manicured <laughs> biceps. Um, I, you know, and I, I was, I watched it um, over and over again, of course, because I just thought it was so fascinating. Like you just kind of want to, you know, obviously he's a star for a reason. And I kid you not, four hours later, I started getting ads for tight <laughs> men's polo shirts delivered to me on Instagram. <laughs> what? what? Oh, my God. Well, God bless him God, for yeah, trying. God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want me to tell you what the, the top um, trending quarantine cocktail is for where you are in Philadelphia? Or Pennsylvania. Oh, what is it? Like garbage water? With garbage like... <laughs> it's a whiskey. It's a whiskey sour. Oh. Which I remember drinking when I was in like college yes. when I first started oh. drinking. You know what? That makes my stomach like tighten up because I've had. Yeah. I had so many of those at a specific age and they're just like sugary and gross. Yeah. They're gross with the mix. I'm sure if you made a nice one with like freshly squeezed juice. It'd be different. But anyway, I'm not surprised. That's like that drink is going to cause diabetes, guys. Well, I looked up. So, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. I looked up what Wisconsin was making. You know, the the drink of Wisconsin is the old fashioned. It's a brandy old fashioned sweet. But uh, they were not making that. They were making, get this, a grasshopper. Oh, okay. <laughs> that... I like what um do you want to like share with the audience what's in a grasshopper (laughs) will you please google the ingredients we hear I I'll just google the ingredients right now disgusting okay it is are you ready this will really sit well while you're in quarantine cream de menthe which gives it a green color like what cream de cacao heavy cream ice (laughs) Uh, I mean, how many calories is in a grasshopper? I just thought, here's a recipe that says, also recommends, and I support this. If you're going to have a grasshopper, do it right. Chopping up some of those Andes candies and garnishing. (laughs) Here's another one that suggests filling the bottom of the class with chocolate sauce. This, I'm sorry, guys. This is a diarrhea party. This would not go over well with the Amandas of the world. No, good Lord. I I had one of these once, well, like a sip. So my every year my dad invents a new cocktail for us to drink at Christmas. And one year there was definitely something that was a derivative of a grasshopper. And we all shut that down immediately. <laughs> it was too, Whoa. it's very thick. Well, on a better <laughs> note... California's drink was the Paloma, which I love. Me too. I uh, love grapefruit juice. Yeah, I love that. I think I support that. Yeah, that one's pretty cool. So my favorite drink to have during quarantine, if I'm making my own drink, is what I... It's a drink I invented a long time ago. It's called a Bachelorette train wreck. And... <laughs> Oh my god! I nearly spit all over my computer. <laughs> no, I was I, not expecting that. Uh, I don't know if my friend Alana is going to be listening to this episode, but when she hears this, it will take her back to the days that we invented the Bachelorette train wreck, which is some coconut rum. Oh no, no, this is good. You're going to like this, okay. Cam. Coconut rum, soda water, a splash of pineapple juice. So okay, it's low okay. carb, tropical, refreshing. Tropical. 
Yes. And so if I'm left to my own devices, that's what I make. I am not embarrassed to drink coconut rum. And there's some really high quality ones out there, guys. But why is it called the Bachelorette train wreck? (laughs) 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 If I recall, uh, the name started... I had just moved back to Portland. This was a long time ago. And I was staying with my friends, Alana and Jesse. And Jesse left town for a couple of weeks. And we all we did was just drink these and throw our clothes all over the place. And we were like, we've got to clean this place up. It looks like a bachelorette train wreck. And we were like, that's the drink. So, and it's a timeless recipe. Something you can drink in your 20s, your 30s, and even your 40s. You know, we will put this on uh, the website. So you can access the Bachelorette train wreck whenever you would like. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a slight pivot here. Okay. And I'm going to talk about natural wine. Now, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, Kim. I know. Isn't wine natural anyway? Isn't all wine natural? Yes, that's semantics here. I'm going to get a little bit deeper into it. And, you know, obviously I am not a professional winemaker or wine dealer or anything, but I am a professional wine. Oh yeah. You're like a professional wino. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but I do have to say that I have really great taste. I do not have a great palate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Me too. Like when people, I'm going to be honest, like I understand the importance of a fine wine. I definitely have really expensive tastes in clothes and other accessories and cosmetics and skincare and whatever else. But when it comes to wine, you can give me a $5 bottle of wine and I'm going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to think it's great. Like you don't need to roll out the red carpet for me when I come over. (laughs) Go down to the wine cellar and get your finest. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I'll be like, just just bring my, (laughs) just get some coconut rum and I won't even care. (laughs) Well, natural (laughs) wine and it has become extremely popular in California. And it has started to get momentum kind of across all of the United States. You know, it, it's actually been around since the 1960s. And I feel like I've been gravitating towards natural wine because I can wrap my head around it and I can actually kind of differentiate how it's different from the more commercial wines. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of restaurants here, right before the quarantine, it would be literally on the signs it would be like we we serve this food and natural wine mm-hmm. you know there was restaurants opening that were specializing in like fermented foods and natural wine you know and i was just like, what is this natural wine thing and then thanksgiving comes around and i'm invited to two different thanksgivings and each <laughs> each each one that i'm invited to i was told that the host prefers for me to bring a, a bottle of wine and it must be a natural wine. Oh, I hate all these people. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, okay, well, I know there's a, there's two, you know, in LA, obviously, you know, there's two um, stores that specialize in natural wine. You know, obviously these, these are like, you know, $20 and up bottles, you know? What? Really, yeah. And I didn't. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I didn't really understand that. I didn't, you know, and, but doing a little research, um, and having a little more experience with um, with the natural wines um, in the past half a year, you know, I, I, it's I'd say it's slowly making a little bit more sense to me on really what it is. So, natural wine refers to a generalized movement among winemakers for production of 
and I quote, natural wine without pesticides, <laughs> chemicals, and other additives. And now I'm pulling this information from Wikipedia because obviously they're the more trustworthy source than myself. But um, some sources claim that it started with winemakers in the Beaujolais region of France in the 1960s. These winemakers sought a return to the way that their grandparents made wine before the incursion of pesticides and chemicals that had become so prevalent in agriculture after, after the end of World War II. They became affectionately known as the Gang of Four. Uh, they were heavily influenced mm. by the teaching of these two enologists who studied ways to make wines with fewer additives. So, I mean, it was like this this group of people that have basically, the, the, since the 1960s, kind of wanted to go back to the historical way that wines were made. So for quite some time, there was a town that became the place um, for like-minded winemakers to congregate and become influenced by the Gang of Four. Kind of reminds me of like, you know, Paris, you know, and the artists and the and philosophers, you know, I mean, in 1960s, it just it sounds so romantic. <laughs> and the fact that it's, you know, 2010, you know, like, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy that it, it took so long for it to really gain popularity here in America. But really, it's kind of been around a lot. It's just, it wasn't really presented properly, or it wasn't really trending right, you know, with with the right groups of people. So gradually, this movement spread to other regions of France and has since spread across the world, gaining popularity and attracting a newer, younger group of winemakers in more and more regions of the world. The term natural wine is somewhat ambiguous, and there are disagreements uh, between fans of the wine as to what that actually constitutes. But I will give you just a little list of what it actually constitutes when you're calling it a natural wine. So it's organically or biodynamically grown grapes with or without certification. That, okay, with or without certification, that is very ambiguous as well. Dry farmed, low yielding vineyards, hand picked, no sugars added, uh, no cultivated yeasts, and no foreign bacteria. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, that sounds great. Uh, no, <laughs> no adjustments for acidity, no additives for color, mouthfeel, minerality, no external flavor additives, including those derived from new oak barrels. So that's going to be that disgusting oaky Chardonnay that I hate so much. Oh, uh, yeah, Ugh. me too. It's it's ruined Chardonnay for me forever. Yeah, but like I hear the word Chardonnay. I'm just like, I run the other uh. way. Actually, non-oak Chardonnay is totally a, a perfectly fine fine drink minimal or no fining or or filtration so you know it's gonna it's gonna have like a, a cloudiness to it no heavy manipulation such as micro oxidization reverse osmosis spinning cone i don't know what that is just <laughs> sounds interesting <laughs> cryo extraction let's just say no heavy manipulation so the wines it, the wine is it's you know historically produced and then minimal or no added sulfites so my favorite wine and the one that i feel like i find the, the most kind of you know interesting flavors and textures from is called orange wine if you go to a restaurant that serves natural wine they'll call this skin contact wine but orange wine is really really trendy it became super trendy particularly mm. this summer as an alternative to rosé so the cool thing about orange wine is that it's actually white wine. It's like a white, as opposed to rosé, which is like a red wine. So white wine, and they leave the skins on, 
And then the grape skins are allowed to ferment with the pressed juice, giving this like really complex flavor. Mm -hmm. And the tannins that come out from these skins uh, are usually only present in the red wines, thus giving it the orange color. So this is actually a super, super ancient form of white winemaking. And it's the original way that white wine was actually made. Because right now, white wine, it's without the skins. They, they, they get rid of the skins. They don't ferment with the skins. Um, so the ferment fermentation process actually makes that wine kind of fizzy and cloudy and tangy and gives that kind of like kind of funky flavor, they call it. It's kind of like kombucha and ciders, which I think is so delicious, personally. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love the orange wine. The orange love wine it. is so good. Yeah. So good, especially since it's just got like, it's just, it's got all of those, those like really amazing elements to it. I have been getting these cases delivered from a company called Purity Wine in California. They kind of embraced this trend, you know, and they, they make all these natural wines. You get this case of 12 and it's all their different varieties. And it's like, it's under $200. They, they just deliver it by, by, by a truck you can get it in California only, I believe. But he also sends this crazy email after you get it. And it is like, I mean, it's like five pages long that go into what, like the story, the actual history behind every single bottle that you just got which is really cool. It gives it a little, a little story there, you know, and then we have out here a bunch of oh, wine stores in LA. Like I'm in the Echo Park region. So it's like Psychic Wines, Tilda, Bar Avalon that are that actually like specialize in all these natural wines. And when you go in there and you don't really know what you're looking for, they are so informed. <laughs> they will help you, you know, get exactly what you want. But you've been drinking these these wines a little bit, right? Yeah. I, the first time I had it was on the trip where I caught coronavirus. <laughs> oh. But I have really good memories of the orange wine um, in Joshua Tree, outside Joshua Tree. Uh, I guess it's in Yucca Valley, actually. There's a store called the Wine and Rock Shop. Mm-hmm. My friend Beth works there or did work there. And she introduced me to the phenomenon of orange wine. It's so good. And I thought I'd never see it again when I came back to Philadelphia. But there's actually a place here in Philly called Lunar Inn that sells them for takeout. Amazing. I mean, so. it's wildfire. It's, it's going to be everywhere. You know, I mean, as everyone's been facing yeah. this more natural way of living and a sustainable way. Like, this is the kind of wine that's going to keep growing in popularity. It is a little more expensive. Yeah. So, you know, you are paying mm-hmm. a slight, slightly premium price for this product, you know, but it does go back to these small family winemakers that are just doing things that they absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I've been going through this, you know, this exploration, I also have been stumbling across, and actually they've been stumbling across me because I get delivered these ads more than, more than me even finding them. But there's a lot of new social drinks, they kind of call them. They're like disrupting social drinks that have slowly become available on the market. You may have heard of this one called House. Have you seen this one? I am Googling it right now because I bet I have. H-A-U-S. I get all the ads. Oh, yes. Okay, I have seen this. Yes. Yeah, they have a beautiful marketing campaigns. The bottles are beautiful bottles are gorgeous they really they really know what they're doing i've seen the ads i've I've always been intrigued but i really didn't i didn't really know what it was so this is a new disruptor in the low proof alcohol beverage industry which doesn't really exist like they kind of were competing with an aperol 
which is a classic Italian bitter aperitif that is mm. also low alcohol and was kind of designed to be low alcohol. Um, this one claims to be seven times lower in sugar than the mm-hmm. classic Aperol. It's made from unoaked Chardonnay. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, the flavors, yeah. I'm looking at the flavors right now. They sound incredible. Mm-hmm. There's bitter clove, citrus flower, mm-hmm. rose rosé, lemon lavender, and ginger yuzu. And it's all real fruits, herbs, botanicals, and it's made in Sonoma by a wine industry veteran. Wow. Yeah, cool, right? So, you know, yeah, very they cool. market it in a lot of different ways, but a lot of it's about just having a beverage, but having a low alcohol proof and, and enjoying your time socializing with your friends and not necessarily regretting it in the morning. But one of the coolest things about them is that they kind of found this loophole. Because they're an aperitif and under 24% alcohol, their aperitifs range from about 15 to 20%. They can legally bypass all the federal restrictions on spirits and sell directly to the consumer. So they have a direct-to-consumer model that, that totally bypasses the distributor and they're able to sell online which is something that you haven't really seen before. So the standard bottle is about 750 milliliters and it holds about 16 shots. So it's about $2.2 from a $35 bottle. So $2.2 per shot, which is actually pretty affordable, particularly because they, they were able to pull that that distributor model out and that those markups and those margins and those commissions and things, Yeah, you know, like they don't really necessarily have that anymore. The genesis for House was the founder's idea to create a transparent alcohol brand like a Glossier for alcohol, which I think is a little, <laughs> eh, eh. <laughs> but I get it. You know, I mean, it's 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 part it's part of the language these days. So the the owner's name is Woody. So he's an experienced winemaker, and he identified that loophole that allows distributors to ship alcohol directly to consumer if the product is made mostly from grapes and is under 24% alcohol. And not only could the beverage be distributed straight to buyers, it can be done with transparency, including the ingredients and nutrition facts. So it, and it also allows House to collect u- user data that big alcohol companies just don't have. They have been able to raise 4.5 investment in tw- 2020 and now offer a membership program for reduced costs if you have like a recurring subscription program. Wow. Yeah. I think that this is such an amazing opportunity, especially as people are kind of veering for lower alcohol options. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is, is a direct to consumer model. I mean, that's the most disruptor thing right now. You know, I think that we're going to be seeing more of these come, come to play, you know, house, you are paying a lot for that bottle. You're paying a lot for that marketing. You're paying a lot, a lot for a lot of things. Uh, but they are likely eating some of those, those margins that instead of going to a distributor are going to to paid marketing ads. Yeah, no, it sounds incredible. I want to try it. I think the branding is beautiful. It's beautiful and it sounds delicious. I haven't tried it. You know, I mean, I'm talking about something I haven't tried. It's just it's something that I've seen trending. I saw another brand that also has been delivering ads. It's called Kin. Have you seen this one? I have seen this. I'm getting all these ads. Yeah, you're get everyone everyone is. None of them are for coconut rum, so I just I sw- yeah. swipe by them, but you're not like exploring them, you know. No, no. <laughs> so I I have explored this, you know, and I I have been kind of interested 
in this one, Kin doesn't have any alcohol in it at all. It's a euphoric, they call it. So it is a social drink that is supposed to kind of replace what alcohol does. Um, and they really kind of have that angle covered in all the ways because they offer two different types of euphorics. There's an upper and a downer. Mm -hmm. They call themselves a new category in nightlife beverage crafted for conscious connection. All bliss, no booze, which I think is so cute and smart. And I think a really nice, a nice way to take the beverage, boozy beverage industry, especially now when, you know, not everyone does want to drink all the time. And I think that conscious connection is a growing part of, the way that we socialize post COVID, you know, having like actual connections with people. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So like I said, they have an upper beverage and a downer beverage, but they also talk about kind of, you know, how it supports stress reduction also. So, you know, how a lot of people will come home after a stressful day and have a cocktail, you know, this is also a, a beverage to help with that, that stress, but not use alcohol. So they say our ingredients are known to balance the body's response to stress and support the brain's neurotransmitters to bring us back into balance. I mean, I would love to try it and see, you know, I think a euphoric, you know, obviously it's playing with your brain receptors. You know, it's not just you know, like a probiotic or, you know, just some herbal blend. It really it is meant to kind of change the way that you feel. Without CBD. I'm try- I was trying to figure out what was in this. So I'm on their site right now. Yeah. And I'm looking at the, the mellow one. What's this one called? Um, Dreamlight. And it's it's uh, micro doses of melatonin and reishi mushrooms. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, what could possibly be in this? Can, can you look at the upper one? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm looking at that one next. I'm like, and just micro doses of cocaine. Yeah, no, <laughs> kidding. Uh, high road. I guess it's probably this high road one. Put the soul back in social is what the copy says. Grounded in an herbaceous palette. It's got adaptogens in it, nootropics and botanics. I mean, I have no idea. I'd have to like really Google yeah. all science. This. Yeah, it's, it's very scientific. Yeah. Science. The other one I was like, oh, it's straightforward. But this one, you know, it seems yeah. complicated. <laughs> it has gotten some really good reviews from people that have tried it that you uh-huh. know that are like it replaces that feeling you know and they say that it acts differently with your chemicals like your just own body chemicals you know like you might be become really talkative or you might become a little more chill like it just kind of depends on your body the price point on these is a bit of a doozy it is a 39 dollar bottle for eight servings so it's about five dollars a serving what? and you are really paying for wow. that beautiful bottle like that bottle's gonna cost yeah quite a bit i think it's definitely a consumer perceived value it's the target demographic that they're going after which is going to be a more affluent customer and then it's offering like a social aspect like a like a cocktail you can have actually that offers you that socialness without the alcohol Bars are starting to serve it. And it looks like they're really going after like exclusive high-end bars. You know, Soho House has something called a Kin and Tonic. And it's $8, but that's versus their $16 cocktail. Yeah, that seems like a bargain knowing that yeah. if you buy the bottle yourself, it's about $5 a serving. Yeah. It seems really like a hot deal. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so curious, kind of like their markup must be kind of different because obviously they might not use a distributor model. They probably are putting a lot of their money, which is why you're seeing it all over the place. They're probably putting it mm-hmm. a lot of their margin into paid marketing ads and the packaging and that branding. You know that they have a branding agency and these branding agencies they are incredible at what they do and they they cost a very pretty penny yeah for sure yeah so this is like an all outsource brand I mean I'd still love to try it you know I'm I'm very curious about it although I you know I just think I don't know what can beat alcohol for its ability to make you sexier funnier more popular (laughs) I I would like to see this try yeah (laughs) I would love for that to be yeah exactly it's like what can calm your nerves on a date you know or better than alcohol (laughs) better than alcohol exactly yeah you're definitely gonna go to the big players there yeah (laughs) I think this is something that would be a very special occasion drink like okay maybe you you get it and you get it for New Year's Eve because you know maybe you have a bunch of people that are driving or um, you go to the Soho house and you, you have one at the Soho house. I, I don't think it's going to be something that you're going to be indulging in constantly at $5 a pop. Right. Um, it's just, it's definitely a, a luxury. I do think yes. that there is a huge future in this product though, and that there's going to be people coming in and doing it at a more affordable price point and make it even more commoditized. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I mean, Think about White Claw, what a disruptor when it began. And now there yeah. are a million brands out there trying to do the same thing. Maybe White Claw will come in with a non-alcoholic version that has a bunch of those <laughs> adig- what do you call them? Ad- Adaptogens. I know. Yeah. It's like, it's just like wellness yeah. talk, really. Well, segueing into like wellness, like wellness mm-hmm. drinks are so huge. And in fact, a lot of like food and beverage business analysts believe that the most significant area of growth for this year is going to be in this area of wellness drinks, which I think would include these these adaptogen non-booze drinks that you're talking about. Health and wellness is the biggest growth area in the world of beverages. But as I said, it's also kind of for the entire industry. And it's a big move on from the juice craze of a few years ago. Remember the juice craze? Everyone was drinking a juice, yeah. right? We had a juice. Everyone. Everyone's like, I'm on a diet. I'm on a juice yeah. cleanse. I'm going to lose 20 pounds just drinking some juices. And you're like, that's just, that just sounds terrible. Well, and I think we're moving on for that from that. There are always going to be diehard juice people, but I think we're all finally realizing that it's way healthier to actually eat your vegetables mm-hmm. rather than drink them. And I mean, to be honest, a big portion of the juice brands that are out on the market right now are still pretty sugary. Yeah. And once again, we're like carbs are the enemy, you know? Yeah, it's like paleo, keto. They actually, they, they're like, do not touch yeah, exactly. Juice. Exactly. With, with like avoid it. Exactly. So I think that's a big part of it too, because I think this like ketogenic paleo lifestyle is becoming more and more mainstream. So the idea of drinks that support both physical and emotional health is the biggest area of innovation. Part of it is like customers are looking for this back to the basics approach in terms of added ingredients, which also is sort of a move on from juice. So they want stuff like vitamins, minerals, omega-3 fatty acids. They want these like functional drinks, whereas juices were just juices, right? These are more like they're simple, basic ingredients that could make you stronger or feel better, more powerful, healthier. 
probiotic drinks, for example, are a huge part of this trend, like gut shots. You know, you can buy those anywhere now. I've seen them at Wawa here. Little shots have probiotics with some other stomach soothing ingredients added. I don't know if you've had this brand of quote soda, Kim. It's called Olipop. I get the ads. Oh my God. I love it. So I first discovered it in LA in Highland Park. It was the first time I'd had it. And it's a no sugar soda in quotation marks that contains fiber and probiotics, which I know you're like, fiber. It sounds disgusting, right? But it's so good. It's not gritty or anything like that. Actually, it sounds really great. Yeah, it's so good. I'm obsessed with the cola flavor, which I think could easily be turned into an amazing float with some coconut milk ice cream. Like it's just... It hits all the points in your brain that like a, drinking a Coca-Cola will without the sugar. They have other flavors too. I know the strawberry is very popular. Anyway, I was excited to discover Olipop has arrived here on the East Coast and the health food store in my neighborhood has it. So I highly recommend that. Is the fiber, is it, is it kind of like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a clear beverage. It's not like. Yeah, no, it's not thick. It's not gritty. I don't know how fiber technology must have improved. Uh, but yeah, it's, and then it's got the probiotics in it too, and it tastes really good. I mean, it it does have a sweet flavor. There's something in there that's giving it a kick of sweet, but from a carb perspective, it's not that bad. Cool. And I think it helps with your digestion. It just kind of depends what you're looking for there. And then there's this idea, kind of going back to the alcohol that you were talking about, of these like mood boosting and stress relieving beverages that contain the adaptogens and CBD. I'm a huge fan of a brand called Vibes, V-Y-B-E-S, terrible, terrible name, but they have this strawberry lavender that is so good. And they also have a blueberry mint. All the flavors are really good. It's not sweet. It's refreshing. I think they work. Uh, They make me go to sleep. So the CBD is definitely working in there. And then there's also recess, which I feel like bombards me with ads on every social media platform. And they have a coconut lime flavor that is so good. But as you know, I'm a coconut fan. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think these CBD drinks work. Now, maybe more and more brands are going to come out with these and then people are going to start cutting corners. I feel like that kind of happened with kombucha. You know, now everybody makes a kombucha and the quality is all over the place. But the few people who are doing it right now are giving you really high quality CBD. A few months ago, I had a back before quarantine, I had a CBD drink from Cha Cha Matcha and I fell asleep on my hotel bed like 15 minutes later. And the the vibes drinks that I was talking about earlier, they have helped me chill out on the train and just feel a little bit less anxious, not totally pass out like I did from Cha Cha Matcha, but I can feel relaxed. But here's the thing. None of these drinks are cheap whether they contain CBD or just a lot of vitamins, we're looking at like eight to $12. Whoa. Wait, I know. What? Yeah. I mean, for like a can? It's in a, it's in a can, right? I want to say the Olipop is more like five. So what a hot deal. But Vibes is, I've seen it ever, anywhere from eight to $12. It's not cheap. Yeah. I know. And it's one serving. Do you think it's the ingredients or do you think it's the fact that it's new technology? Do you think it's like they're really trying to target a certain demographic and they want to have a more premium price point? I mean, I think it's all of it. I think all of these products have incredible branding, which we know is expensive. They're putting a lot of money into their branding. I mean, and CBD is such a craze right now. I thought maybe it was going to die this year, but I think now that we've all been locked up, it might be picking up even more momentum because we all have so much anxiety. I don't know how much it actually costs to, to make CBD, but everything that's halfway decent that contains CBD is really expensive. I mean, you get what you pay for there, right? So it's true. 
it, it could be a lot of things. It could be yeah. expensive marketing. It could be the branding. It could be they're using high quality products. It could be all of those. It could also be that if that drink were $2, you'd be more skeptical that it would work. You know, the psychological aspect. I think, you know, we have become accustomed to this mm -hmm. idea of the affordable luxury, you know, like whether it's going out for a coffee or buying a drink like this, a few dollars. And yes, I mean, that's like a millennial thing. That's like avocado toast, you know, $10 avocado toast. Like it's definitely, it's become part of our culture for sure. Totally. And you know, I was thinking about this, like, think of all those years of buying five to $6 kombucha, which when kombucha mm -hmm. first hit the market, it would be like, what? $5 for a drink, a weird, funky drink. Now we don't think twice about it. Gosh, right. I, vinegar. You're paying five dollars yeah, for a vinegar we don't drink. Think, I think it like warmed up our wallets. So now we don't mm -hmm. feel so bad spending ten dollars on one bottle of something that doesn't even have alcohol in it, right? <laughs> right, right. I, and the funniest part is like, why is alcohol considered to be more uh, worth the the, the, the dollar spend. Right. I mean, it's also, you know, what it it's is? also psychological for us, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. when your drink is really cheap, like a, an alcohol, like a cocktail drink, when it's cheap, you're like, oh, it's going to be gross. Right. So we also, people like us, Kim, have been trained to feel that all cocktails mm -hmm. should range from 12 to $25 or they're not worthwhile. Right. Yes. Because we live in, in LA, New York, Philadelphia. Yeah, of course. So if, if someone was like, hey, would you like this $5 cocktail? You'd be like, gross. Deal. Yeah, what, what's in it, right? <laughs> Cheap. So I, I do think that there is a psychological component. You know, like, yeah. oh, for example, talking about our favorite sushi place in, in LA, the, you know, the conveyor belt one, it's really cheap. So when I tell people, the sushi is really good and it's really cheap. They're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But then you go and it's so good. <laughs> I mean, granted, it's a lot of like fried things. You know, you're, it's not like the elevated elegant. You're not going to like Nobu here. You know, you're going. Right. But you're getting, it, <laughs> it's fresh. It's delicious. So much crab. It's so cheap. It's really, yeah, yeah it's good. I mean, but we're also coastal. So. You know, it's not like they're they're paying the transportation costs to get something. <laughs> that's <inland>. true. <laughs> that's how they save. That's how they save a margin there. <laughs> I mean, they they also. I mean, they are so busy that they have their own app. So <laughs> yeah, you, you you set you get a time you like we get your reservation, <laughs> but you have to kind of linger around this area when they call you. <laughs> Worth it. So they're, you know, they're going through a lot. It's definitely like a bulk ordering process. So, they, so you know, maybe they're getting some price discounts there. <laughs> By the way, this place is called, uh, I believe it's called Kura Sushi Bar. Yeah, five stars. <laughs> Would recommend, <laughs> am recommending, take everyone there. So anyway, that concludes our hot beverage talks. I thought we just, you know, I wanted to talk to you about something that's been on my mind which is that article that came out about Everlane. Yes. Yes. I think it was on uh, New York times, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Story. I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just one in a series, right? This is just, I'm excited because I mean, you and I have talked about this. A lot of these brands came up at the same time that secretly had a really bad culture, like a really toxic culture. Like I think about away, for example, Reformation. It's like, their, it's like their agenda buried the toxicity. Yeah. Like the, we were like, oh, they do good things. Okay. The thing about mm -hmm. Everlane is 
there it was the whole like radical transparency but like i never quite got what the do-gooding was there because they were radically transparent about pricing i guess but they the reality is that the clothes were not a very good quality they were just fast fashion with good marketing i i think you know yeah it was it was built on a marketing model it was it was a it was a company that was actually built from the ground up on disrupting the fashion industry so and be direct to consumer but using that as their marketing which is like what tons of people are direct to consumer you know now that we're dissecting it, I'm like, wow, we were all really scammed. <laughs> because being direct to consumer, wow, that's so <laughs> radical and transparent. I've never heard of just buying something from a website. And I always thought it was dodgy because they never talked about their supply chain. I mean, they did. They do show what factory the product comes from mm-hmm. in the, like the product description. Right. But it was like, what about the suppliers? You know, it was just. Right. What about the suppliers? Like what? Because what you were saying, I mean, the the brand was far too boring and snoozy for, for me to have any interest in buying anything. But you have personally purchased something and experienced their quality. So you are saying that, that the quality is okay. Go on. Okay, so I bought a raincoat because everybody at my job at the time was obsessed with Everlane. Even though I was working for like a retailer, it wasn't the fashion. I mean, you know where I'm talking about yeah. Kim. Uh, the people there weren't like fashion forward, trendy, but everybody was like, no, get a raincoat from Everlane, do it. It'll be the best. And I got it. And it was crappy. Like I should have bought a raincoat at Uniqlo. <laughs> yeah, right. You're gonna get the same. It probably would have been half the price and lasted twice as long. Like it was not nice. It had a terrible zipper. It felt like plastic. It was not waterproof. The fit was really bizarre. It wasn't waterproof. I mean, it, it was like water resistant, but that's not the same, you know, and it's it just, the, same. the fit was just not that good. You know, the so lining was horrific, like just gross nylon lining, but felt like Halloween costume fabric. It was just, it was just terrible. And so I never bought from them again, but I would still hear about them all the time. And I felt like they were a darling of all, you know, like of all the blogs, like Refinery29 and yeah. The Cut and everybody was talking about them all the time. And then I would look at their latest promotion and look at the product and be like, wait, this is Ugh, boring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just, I don't know. I think we're, we're on the dawn of a new era where you can't be, you can't pretend to do good things, but really do bad things behind the scenes. I hope. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we keep seeing the exposures and these companies that are these darlings that have these agendas that are public. You haven't mentioned what the article was really about. And it was, yeah, it was about the toxic culture. It was about fat shaming and racism, uh, like microaggressions, like touching people's hair and just not promoting black people, you know? There was yeah. that one section yeah. where the, like the creative director put her hand all the way through a woman's hair to like scraping her scalp. I mean, that is Ugh. so inappropriate. The black people that work there could never be promoted ever. They were held back. And then how about how when the customer service team tried to unionize? So the customer service team, as far as I can tell, uh, worked yeah. remotely. They didn't actually work in the office, so they didn't get any of the same perks. And they also then didn't have the same opportunities to progress in their career because they were off-site. So it was sort of out of sight, out of mind, right? They attempted to unionize. And I I will say I've been noticing this pattern, Kim, that all of these places that have a toxic culture, 
the people who work in customer service are really bearing the brunt of it, right? Like they're having the worst yeah. experience. It seems like they just get abused the most. It's like lowest common denominator. Yeah. Thinking about Away, you know, Away was like abusing their customer service team. There's no way around it. So the customer service team at Everlane tried to unionize. And you know what happened? They all got laid off. Like ton of people, a ton of people. And, and that's not a coincidence, you know, it was definitely intentional, even though Everlane denies it. I, Everlane's definitely taking the same approach that everybody else before them has, which is deny, 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 even when there is a very strong thread of evidence, right? Yeah. They don't want to make clothes, clothes in plus size because it's not aspirational, which if I hear that one more time in my career, oh my I God. am going to like strangle someone. It's everywhere. everywhere. It's been it. I mean, like this, this thread is the same at most places, particularly places that, you know, that we've worked or we have friends that work like this is just, it's an echo. We're like, like in an echo. Chamber. Yes. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in where someone in leadership has said, we cannot use plus size models or we can't extend our sizing because plus size is not aspirational. That, I mean, it's just like it's garbage, right? Or I've also been in meetings where it's yeah. like, no, we can't use a black model. It's too edgy. Like, what does that even mm -hmm. mean? That the existence of being black <laughs> yeah. is edgy? I don't even, I mean, what that is, is just some casual racism yeah. being thrown out at work. Yeah, there you go. That's it. That's exactly it. I think, you know, I think this is a giant wake up call. And, you know, there's a lot of retailers, I'm sure, just shaking in their boots. You know, they know that they have a toxic culture because it's just so prevalent. I think either you clean it up Mm -hmm. or we just start a bunch of new businesses that are actually doing well. And that are actually accountable to the public and mm -hmm. the customers. That's something that's on my mind yeah. a lot, that when you can hide all this stuff away, like especially if you're a, not a publicly traded company, you have to report almost nothing. So you can hide stuff even more. But, you know, even publicly traded companies, their only accountability to the public is financial. But imagine if they also had to speak publicly oh. to their turnover rate amongst their staff and the the racial breakdown of their leadership and their teams as a whole. And, and gender. And gender, absolutely. And we don't ask that, so they don't need to tell us. And to me, when I go somewhere like Forever 21 or The Gap or, you know, Target, I'm not expecting that they're doing good for the world. I'm just there to buy shit, right? But when someone's pretending that they're do they're engaging in radical transparency and they're bettering mm -hmm. the world and they're a disruptor, then they need to be walking the walk behind the scenes too. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, but I think it's just, it actually was just the industry itself had such a toxic culture and there was never mm -hmm. a check and balance. Like nobody was ever held accountable. Like it just, it just kept grandfathering itself. Absolutely. I mean, I think people, perfectly decent people think that the industry is supposed to be like Devil Wears Prada. And so they keep perpetuating this nastiness. But that was a movie. And it's important to remember mm -hmm. that everyone in that movie at the end was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And I mean, we've been miserable many times. Like we are always just like, God, sometimes like the fashion industry is just full of just assholes. You know, oh, I've had I've had bosses who have been like, maybe you're just not cut out for fashion because you're not tough enough yeah. or maybe you're not uh, strong enough for a startup. 
Like, yeah. no, just because your company is small, just because you work in fashion, none of those things mean that assholery is acceptable. I mean, a man and I gravitated towards each other because we do like to think differently. You know, we are inclusive yeah. and yeah. we find it really important to be, to have a really great company culture, you know, and, you know, a positive one. And yeah, <laughs> but when you're constantly just being bombarded and you're constantly working in a place that, that doesn't believe so, which is pretty much the entire industry, you know, we find, a, we find little hints of joy that this is finally, finally being broken up. And it's finally being recognized. 100%. Because it can, it'll just change, it'll change the industry to its core and it's needed it so desperately for so long. Absolutely. I, I'm going to tell you that even places that you don't think would be that way, places that say they have a nice culture and post lots of social media of all their employees having such an awesome time, that's, that's a lie. Even those places it's usually a warning. Sign. I know. It's usually like the red flag. You're like, it nah. is. It totally is. I'm like, <laughs> I better go check out the Glassdoor uh -oh. reviews for that company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like I think of Bando. You know, Bando seemed like a place where everybody was yeah. besties and wore matching outfits, and it was adorable. Their Glassdoor reviews are horrible. Like, I wasn't surprised when all that stuff came out about Jen Gotch and Bando and the culture of just racism and assholery I, I wasn't surprised at all because a year before that i'd almost applied for a job there but i checked out the glass door reviews and was like nope definitely not applying for that i mean i'm just hoping that this that this is going to be like an actual shake-up of the industry and you know a lot of these bigger companies are bringing in you know professionals to basically vet their whole culture so, you know, because, because we know that what happens is if you, if there is a, an article, you know, if there is some social media that can go viral, it will destroy your company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I would love to see what's going on with all of these brands businesses right now. You know, yeah. how's Bando doing? What about Reformation? Yeah. Uh, the article, the New York Times article already said that Everlane had lost $15 million this year. I, wow. I mean, I never even think of that as a place to shop. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a function of a lot of things there. Also, I just recorded an episode of Clothes Horse today about off price, mm -hmm. you know, like TJ Maxx, whatnot. 75% of the clothing bought in the United States is bought at these off price retailers. So that means Jeez. all these other brands that you and I know and think about they're fighting for 25% of that business. Wow. On a good day. And now we're in a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to see a lot more changes. Um, even as we were recording this, I just got a push notification saying that Lord and Taylor and Latote declared bankruptcy today. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the dawn of a new era. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I just... It's 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 not even strongest survive. It's it's the the most <laughs> affirmative and positive, you know. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones and that innovative, and innovative. Yeah, totally disruptive. But it's, yeah. it, but the whole company has to be on the, a strong foundation. Yes, and a lot of these brands were not. It seems that no, they were just rocky. like a house of cards financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. House of Cards. Brilliant, Amanda. <laughs> well, brilliant. thank you so much for joining us for another episode today. If you have, oh my God, I forgot what our email address is, Kim. What's our email address? <laughs> it is 
info at uh, the department dot world. So there you go. If you have some questions, comments, or suggestions, hit us up there. You can also find us on Instagram at, this is a hard one, underscore the underscore department. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll yeah, have we're all making this it in our, easy. Yeah, we're making it real easy. Uh, we'll have all this in our show notes, so you'll find us there too. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.